0: Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from ResLife Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Good morning, ResLife Holland. I love seeing all the fellowship and the hugs and the laughter. That's great. That's going to tie into the message today. Well, it's officially December. That's exciting. It's it's Christmas month in my book. So I'm one of those people who, who waits a while to put my tree up and decorate. How many people have their tree up? Okay. How many people got that tree up before Thanksgiving? Ooh, a couple of guilty parties. Okay. How many people are like day after Thanksgiving the tree's going up? Yeah. Okay, yeah, I like to wait. Like, December hits, it's time. It's, it's time to finally get in the mood for Christmas and to get all those decorations up. Um, and I feel like, you know, tis the season for the elf on the shelf and uh, bribing and threatening kids into obedience, right? How, how many of you have, have the elf? Ooh a couple. Okay. All right. Yeah, no judgment. I've obviously had the elf at some point in my life. <laughs> so, I've been thinking a lot about this lately and just, you know, how we how we are as a society and how we how we relate to one another. One of my friends was telling me the other day that their children's school actually told them the elves were watching the video cameras in the school to make sure, you know, who's good and who's bad and kind of threatening the kids at school into obedience that way, which I thought was interesting. And it made me remember when I was in middle school, I actually did, did a report on St. Nick in Poland. So I do have some Poland, Polish ancestry. And I was curious what that was like. And so what I had found out in my report was that historically, there really was a man that dressed up like St. Nicholas and went around the town and he gave like fruit and trinkets To the good kids, but the kids who did not know their prayers, he beat with a stick. Yeah, well, that's one way to get kids to memorize Bible verses, (laughs) I guess, a little fear. Anyways, (laughs) now I'm not totally dissing the elf on the shelf or some of the different traditions that we have. What I want you to recognize as we move into our message is how deeply embedded fear-based behavior modification is in our culture. It's deeply embedded in our culture. And then we'll put a pin in that. We'll be back. So how many of you agree that one of our primary goals as like, Christian spiritual formation is becoming more and more Christ-like? Can we agree with that? Yeah. We are to conform to the image of God. Right, So I talked before about the spirit of conformity and how we don't want to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So I want to begin today, if we know we are not to be conformed to the image of the world and we are to be conformed to God and we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, we need to know a little bit about the nature of God, right? So I want to talk today about an Old Testament word that has been used over and over and over to describe the nature of God. This word has been used 243 times in the Old Testament. Does anyone know what it is? It's hesed. Hesed. Has anyone heard that word? Yeah, a few people. Okay, so I'm really butchering this. I my understanding is the way it's actually pronounced is a little like, hesed, like. Now I can't I can't do that. So I'm gonna say it like. An American, and I apologize. But throughout the Hebrew Bible, hesed is used over and over, and it's translated many different ways to describe the nature of God. It is translated as unfailing love, steadfastness, mercy, kindness, goodness, compassion, loving kindness, grace. And like so many words, one english word just doesn't do this concept justice it really combines two english concepts one is that of love and the other is that of commitment so some people refer to this as covenant love okay love and commitment psalms 63:3, because Your loving kindness has said is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Isaiah fifty four ten, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love has said, For you will not be shaken. Exodus twenty verse six, but showing loving kindness has said to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. hesed is trustworthy. It's ever enduring. And it is God's loyal love to us and to humanity. In Numbers 14, 18, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. Hesed forgiving iniquity and transgression. This is merciful forgiveness. It's God's grace. You know, there are lots of different names for God in the Bible. We've probably heard of Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Rapha, our God, our healer. In Numbers 9.17 They give God the word Yahweh has said, which means the God of forgiveness. This is integral to the character of God. Forgiveness, forgiving inequity. Micah 718, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love, has said. You guys getting the picture? God loves us. He is forgiving. He is faithful. And that is part of who he is. It's part of his character. All of the verses that I just mentioned to you are Old Testament verses. Old Testament concepts of who God is, who Yahweh is. My first question, does God change? No. No. The Bible tells us God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. My second question is, if God doesn't change... What changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Besides the language. (laughs) Right, right, Jesus. We have a new covenant. So here's my critical question for you today. If the old inferior covenant was rooted in that much forgiveness, love, covenant love between God and people... Why would we expect something worse under a better covenant? We wouldn't. God's forgiveness and salvation in Jesus is rooted in his Hesed love that never changes. It is the disposition of God's heart, not just for his people, but all of humanity. I want to read Jeremiah 31. 31 through, I think it's 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, on their heart, and I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man, each neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they're they're all going to know me. They will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. Yeah. And in Ezekiel 36, 26 to 29, it talks again. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances for you will live in the land that I've given to your forefathers so that you will be my people and I will be your God. Moreover, I will save you from all of your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it. I won't bring famine upon you. In the Old Covenant, we know the wages of sin were death. And blood sacrifice was required for the atonement of sin. Sin separated people from God. But in the New Covenant, the blood of Jesus has paid it all. Has paid it all. We just took communion, representing the blood of Jesus. My blood, I spilled for you. He has paid every debt. The Bible says our sin is now separated from us as far as the east is from the west. We now have the Holy Spirit within us. And no longer do we have to, you know, hear about God from our neighbor. God's living in us, teaching us. Guiding us, discipling us. It's a good deal, you guys. It's a good deal. Ephesians 1 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Do you ever just thank God for the blood of Jesus? Thank you, God for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the new covenant. God, all, all we have to do, you guys, is step in to this new covenant. And it's a covenant of love and forgiveness. God is so committed to you. He loves you. God is not punishing you. I want to repeat that. I felt this so strongly. I need to release someone from this. God is not punishing you. First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Fear involves punishment. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. We sing about that, of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear involves punishment, and God has not given us a spirit of fear. God is not punishing you. He is covering you in covenant has said. I want you to think for a moment um, about the woman caught in adultery. And she was hauled before Jesus, and they said, Well, you know, well we're supposed to stone her, right? And what did Jesus do? He extended Love and mercy. He didn't condemn her. Woman, is there no one left to condemn you? I don't condemn you either. Go. Sin no more. I can't think of a single time where Jesus was looking to punish someone. Can you? No. He was looking to extend grace and mercy to help people see have a revelation of who God is bring people into right relationship he was using these situations to teach people and to show radical mercy that's who he was God really he doesn't punish he disciplines what's the difference The goal of punishment is behavior change because of fear. Get people to act the way you want using fear. The goal of discipline is teaching. It's spiritual growth and it's deepening intimacy. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son. Proverbs 3:12 says, "For the Lord disciplines those He loves, as a father, the son He delights in." First Timothy four: seven to eight says, "Rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily training is just slightly beneficial, but godliness is beneficial for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You know, discipline, that's, that's where we get the word discipleship as well. It's all about our growth. You do something wrong, and God is using that as a teaching moment. The Holy Spirit might be convicting you on the inside. It's a teaching moment where the intent is improved godliness spiritual growth, and deepened intimacy with God. At the end of God's discipline and chastisement, you have a deeper connection with God. The goal of punishment is controlling behavior with fear. The goal of discipline is godliness. In the last week, I've encountered a couple different people like going through some really tough stuff, and they told me, I just feel like God's punishing me. I'm like, baby, that's not the nature of God. It's just not. God uses mistakes to grow us and deepen relationship. He's not not holding that against you. He's not looking for a reason to punish you harshly. That's not in his nature. Biblically, God might eventually... Give them over to their own desires. That's what we see. Release his hand from us. Romans one twenty four says, Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their heart to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. We see it again in Psalm 81.12. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. So, this is what we see. This is what we see from the heart of God. God wants relationship. He wants to discipline and grow you. But if you are willfully rejecting God, if you are willfully rejecting his discipline, there comes a point when he might say, all right, experience right, experience—you know, the consequences of sin. You don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want that individually. We don't want that um, as a country. We want God's hand and discipline on us. We want that relationship. But my point here is that these are people who willfully rejected God. These are not people who are crying out to God, looking for his instruction, wanting connection, and God God doesn't do the cold shoulder and say, "Mm." if you're reaching for God, he's reaching for you. This is willful rejection of God. And I think that's honestly what hell is. I think hell is the, these people who have willfully rejected God. And he's like, oh, fine, have it your way for eternity. These aren't people who are seeking relationship with God. God isn't looking for reasons to punish you. He's looking for reasons to extend mercy. And he really wants connection. That's the reason humanity exists, is relationship with God. Acts 17, 27, God did all of this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Ever. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He's not far. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Why? Why? Because of God's discipline, right? He wants to extend grace and mercy. He wants to lavish us with his chesed. You guys, you will make mistakes. I will make mistakes. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I will make mistakes. (laughs) And God is going to lovingly discipline us For the purpose of godliness, for the purpose of discipleship. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, will lead us through a process of repentance and restoration. But the end goal is always that it's respiration. It's not leaving you in condemnation, it's not leaving you in shame and guilt. We have our whole lives to grow spiritually. God isn't looking to punish us. He's not looking to make you hide your imperfection. He's looking to grow us and disciple disciple us. And I want you to realize that if perfection was even possible, we wouldn't need Jesus. It's not possible. We will all mess up. Our job is to work harder and harder to reflect God's nature. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the laws of the prophets. We can summarize that really easily. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. You know, we are intended to be living in community with other believers. That's actually how we grow to become more Christ-like, his relationships with other people. And we are supposed to be reflecting God's nature to the people around us, loving God and loving people, as God has shown us how to do it. But we really can't do this superficially. If we're all just walking around with smiles on our faces and our cute little outfits, that's not real relationship, is it? Anyone who's married knows there is a difference between smiling and superficial relationship and actual intimacy and actually knowing someone's flaws and their weaknesses and loving them anyway. And we are intended to be living that way with other believers. We can't be hiding our flaws and tiptoeing around and wondering if the elf on the shelf is watching. It's not about hiding who we are to appear perfect or suffer divine consequence. We need to be able to get real with each other within the safety of covenant hessed love as a body. As I was thinking about that, It made me realize, you know, in Scripture, they make it clear. We love, why? Because he loved us. He showed us how. We can forgive, why? Because we've been forgiven. You know the parable of the servant who was forgiven a huge debt and then refused to forgive? What happened to him? He was called, you wicked servant. How dare you not forgive a small debt when you've been forgiven so much? So, if God lovingly disciplines us and we turn around and we dole out harsh punishment to others, aren't we the wicked servant? You know, I wanted to talk today just about Hesed love because it is so important, you know, you, you guys have probably heard me talk about right, right brain, left brain, and strengthening the right synapses, and I've been on this whole kick, and having that relational love with other people strengthens the right brain, and I really wanted to talk about that. But those of you who know me also know I'm like the queen of root cause analysis, And I'm going to teach you one method today of root cause analysis. It's called the five whys. It means if you have a problem, you ask, why is that happening? Then you ask, why? 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 And now you've figured out the root. Okay, so why would we be having trouble living in chesed relationships with other people, in deep, intimate relationships among the body? Why? Well, we're afraid to show who we really are. Why? Well, because we're, you know, imperfect people and we're afraid that people are going to judge us and think poorly of us and maybe exclude us. Well, why? Well, because that's what we've been taught since childhood. <laughs> why? Why? because most of us have been raised under a punishment paradigm. And I think that's a good example of the spirit of conformity, right? You do what I want, you act the way I want, or you're punished, conform, or you're punished, conform or pay. And that's earthly logic, you guys. That's not heavenly logic. That's not how God treats us. But a lot of us, I mean, let's go back to this example. How many of you remember, as a child, being told, "You better behave. Santa's watching. Oh, if you don't behave, you might get coal in your stocking." Hey, Did you guys remember this? I mean, subtly or overtly, that's been that's been the mentality of a lot of punishment that we've received, or a lot of just The way we interact with each other, our children and other people. It's this whole punishment paradigm. And we do that with our children, too. You know, we're taught from the time we're born that if you don't conform to the behavior expectations, then you're going to be punished. You might be spanked or yelled at or sent to bed without supper or have just affection withheld from you. Hurt and punished in some way is fear-based Punishment. And as I think about that, you know, fear-based punishment might work for a short period of time. Like little kids who don't know anybody, they might behave because they're afraid. But discipline is a completely different mentality. Discipline takes something that's going wrong And helps grow that person. Helps teach them empathy. I want my children. I want, like, don't hit your sister. Not because you're afraid of getting smacked one yourself. But because you understand empathy. Don't lie and cheat on that test. Why? Because you're afraid of getting caught and punished, suspended, grounded, or because you're growing in integrity. You know, they're very, very different purposes and approaches. And I think most of us have been raised in a punishment mentality, and whether we overtly and intentionally transfer this on to our children and the people around us, or whether this is all subconscious, this has really impacted our ability to interact with other people. As someone who, I've done um, research in this area, I've read a lot of research in this area. Did you know that the way you relate to your parents really impacts your view of God? So if you see, if you as a child saw your parents as punishing, mean, and harsh, subconsciously, you tend to view God as punishing, mean, and harsh, Conversely, if you view your parents as extending grace and mercy and they're training you up and they're disciplining you instead of punishing you, that's how you start to view God. Does that make sense? Can you kind of see how maybe this has played out in your own life? Where some of those hang-ups where you're like, oh, why are we so afraid of making a mistake? Why? That's probably where it comes from. We feel this need to hide who we really are from God and from other people because we're afraid. Guilt and shame does not come from God. Guilt and shame does not come from God. Hiding. I mean, that's the accuser of the brethren. Revelations 12.10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now, the salvation, the power, the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Messiah have come. For the one who accuses our brothers, who accuses them day and night in the presence of our God, has been thrown out. That's not God who accuses you, that's Satan. And living under shame and condemnation is demonic. That does not come from God. Here's the real kicker. You know, we cannot heal if we don't feel safe. If we see punishment everywhere we go, everywhere in all of our relationships, we can't heal. Our brains can't can't develop the way they need to develop. And the thing that's been really troubling me is why? Why are Christians... A religion literally founded on love and mercy. Known for corporal punishment and fear-based control methods. Did you know conservative Protestants are some of the most likely people to hit their kids? In the world? I'm happy to say that several denominations are starting to come up with official stances against that. But it's notable how deeply embedded in conservative Christian culture punishment, severe punishment, really is. And why has it been normalized in Christian communities, in Christian culture? Is it really godly? Where does this obsession with obedience and conformity really come from, and is it of God? God. I would argue that obedience is not the highest order. It's empathy. It's teaching our kids empathy. It's extending empathy. It's treating each other with grace and mercy and empathy and being able to put ourselves in someone else's shoes. When we hear of another believer who's made a mistake, a moral failure, whatever, can you empathize? Can you put yourself in their shoes? Or do we want to immediately just punish, punish, punish? Imagine if God zapped us every time we did something wrong with a bolt of lightning. No, God just lavishes us with unconditional love, with hesed, Brings us back into the fold. Teaches us. Guides us. You know, there's a million other ways we can relate with our children and with the people around us. For parenting, I am a big fan of love and logic, but there are lots, lots of other ways to relate with our children. What I want you to take away is that that dynamic plays out in our adult lives and in our adult dynamics and the way we interact with each other in the body of Christ. And that is a huge root cause of lack of chesed lack of godly love and accountability in a body. And most of us, I think, probably don't even realize that we're doing it, that we're operating in a punishment paradigm. But we are all walking around, smiling, trying to look good for the elf on the shelf. I do want to emphasize as we close that Hesed relationship does not mean tolerating bad behavior. It does not mean you have to just love and accept everything everybody does. That's not what it means. But it's calling it out and addressing it in a godly way with the end goal of spiritual formation and restoration and discipleship. The enemy loves to keep people in bondage enslaved by their sin and separated from the body, feeling like, oh, I'm not really good enough to hang out with them. I've, something I've done has separated me. I can't really fully engage or I'm going to be punished. They're going to find out X, Y, or Z, and oh, I'm not going to do this, and oh, my God, I've got so much to work. You know, the, the devil loves to keep people separated, feeling singled out and Shameful. Keeping believers with fake smiles, not really engaging with each other. So what do you do? What do you do if, if a believer has, has an issue, has a sin problem that you're dealing with? I think step one as a body is for, like if someone comes to you and they're, man, I have this sin problem. Well, you acknowledge it. Yeah, that's a sin problem. You call it what it is. The second step is to dig deep and try to figure out what is the actual problem. What's the root here? Is it a spiritual root? Is it a relational root? What is the root behind this behavior? And the third thing that you do is help, like, repent. We have to be able to repent. And repentance is not, sorry. Repentance is acknowledging all the people that you've hurt by by that behavior. Repentance always results in radical transformation. Always. If there is not radical transformation, there was not repentance. And it's about taking responsibility for the damage that you've caused and figuring out how to rectify that. How do I reconcile with the people in my life and with God. And it's about allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us through a very difficult process. And we will all have to do this because we're not perfect people. And this should be normalized in the body. Right? If I'm dealing with something, I should go to another believer before it's a problem, and say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. I need some help. You bring it to the light. Having some authentic vulnerability. And then if someone comes to you, it's not judging them. Oh, well, you know what they did. You know what they're dealing with. No, 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 it's walking with them. We're to share each other's burdens. Romans 8.18 says, And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness, of conformity to God's will and purpose. We can't spend one more moment enslaved by sin. Enslaved by fear and guilt and shame if you're struggling with something, I encourage you to find someone. Find someone in the, in the congregation. Look around. See who God's leading you to. And be vulnerable. And tell them, this is what I'm dealing with. I need help. Galatians 6, 1-2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness the goal is restoration keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ god it's it's that it's that authentic intimacy it's okay We have to have a safe place so that we can grow together. Amen. So I want to to take a moment and just invite anyone who has never fully accepted the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ, to do that. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. That we will be saved. Saved from what? That separation. The separation with God. That willful rejection of God. Where he just releases his hand and says, okay. Hell it is. <laughs> no, no, no. We want loving connection. Loving connection that can only come from the blood of Jesus Christ. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Total forgiveness. Total has had love.